Good to be here this morning, and certainly good to see the presence of all that are here. We're thankful for the visitors, and we pray that you'll come back and worship with us every opportunity that you have. The Lord's given us a beautiful day to come together as his children and a family of God and to sing praises to him and to to worship this morning. This morning, in that light, I want us to talk just a little bit or a few moments regarding what Christ's death meant to him. I think that when we study the Word of God, we'll find that the true value of his sacrifice is greater than what probably uh, we think about sometimes. And I think when we understand the fullness of that sacrifice, it will help us in living the Christian life. It will help us to live up to that that expectation that Christ has sacrificed for us. And so we're going to talk about uh, what it meant for him to die. You know, if you were to ask the average Christian, what does Jesus' death mean to you or to the, to each other? What, what does it mean to you? I'm sure most of us would say, well, his death means that I have forgiveness of my sins. And they'd have washed my sins away, and that's going to be the right answer, or a right answer. Let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. It says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures, Jesus died for your sins. And that is a right answer, but it's not the complete answer. It's a right answer, but not the complete answer. That's an interesting statement. As you think about what Jesus' death really meant, it meant a whole lot more than your sins being forgiven. When we think about Jesus' death, though, we're thinking about it in terms uh, or through the eyes of a sinner, uh, through the eyes of someone that needed deliverance from their sins, who, who participated in worldly things, and we need those sins forgiven to have a relationship with God again. And so that's the eyes that we're looking through and answering that question, but it's not the complete answer. And so we want to we look at some more about what this answer should be and what Jesus' death really meant. When I think about Jesus dying on the cross and we look at his scourging and we read about his crucifixion and all the things that went with that and we think how cruel and how unusual that is and how brutal it was and he did that for us, he also did it for other things. There was a greater answer in that question. In Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, this passage of Scripture is given to us so that we would have an example of when we're suffering in life and when things are not going well, we're to look to Jesus. And it gives us this example that, The joy that was set before him is what helped him endure the cross. The reason he stayed on the cross was the joy that was set before him. What that phrase means is there was something ahead of him that he looked forward to. There was something after that this was over that he was going to enjoy. 
something better on the other side, sometimes we say. And so the joy that was set before him helped him through this, this suffering, through this trial, through this crucifixion, through this death. There was something he looked forward to. Now let's think about who Jesus was. In John 17, verse 5, it says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus existed in heaven as God. He was with God and he was God. But he had an existence before the world was. And Jesus prayed that he could have that, that he could taste that glory once again. And he prayed to the Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. You know, part of that joy that Jesus saw, part of that joy that helped him endure the the suffering and death was to be back home. To be back with his Father. You know, sometimes some of the greatest joys is to be back home. To be back where we know we belong. There was a illustration I saw on, on Facebook the other day as I was scrolling down through there. And it had the, this elderly gentleman. It was an animated, off of that movie Up, I think it was where the older gentleman loses his wife and the house flies away in the balloon. And he's sitting in the chair and his wife's sitting in the chair next to him and it says you don't realize how precious the moments are. And then the next clip it showed her gone until they're, until they're gone. And I'm sure Jesus felt that way. As Jesus came to this earth and he lived among us, imagine the stark difference. In leaving heaven with his heavenly father and how perfect everything was to come to this earth. Among people like us. Among the cruel world that we see. What a stark difference that was. And I'm sure that the part of the joy that Jesus had that helped him endure going through this suffering was to be back home. To be back where he was before the world was. And he prayed for that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. John 1, verse 1 and 2. And John explains to us that Jesus... That we see that suffered on the cross was in heaven before the world was. In the beginning, he existed as God, deity in heaven with his heavenly father. He was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He possessed deity. And so before the world came into existence, before the word spoke the world into existence, he existed in a perfect a perfect were a perfect place with his heavenly father and he wanted to go back the joy he knowing that once i once i complete this death once i complete this will of my father i can be back with him what joy that would be notice what he told the jews in john chapter 6 as they began to question him and jesus says i am the 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 bread the bread of life that comes down from heaven 
And he began to teach how the Father sent him to, to the earth and that he was the bread that would give people life. Their fathers ate of the manna, but they still died. And Jesus said, you partake of me and you'll live forever. And the Jews questioned him. Is that what Jesus is really saying? That he was God? And Jesus says, does this offend you that I say this? And then he makes this statement in verse 62. And what if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? So Jesus is saying, this may offend you. But I'm going back to where I was before. That's the joy. Or part of the joy, at least, that Jesus had. That suffering through death, he could be back with his heavenly father. To fulfill this plan. To carry out the father's will. And then when it was over, he could be back with his father where he was before. And so when we think about the suffering of Jesus, it's much more than just him forgiving our sins. Yes, that's part of it. But it's so so much greater than that. It meant something to him too. There was something in it for him. In the beginning, well, the next verse. Romans chapter 14, verse 9. Suffering meant being Lord. It says, for to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. So Jesus, in order to be Lord of both the dead and the living, he had to die. He had to suffer and die and be resurrected. And then he could be Lord of both the dead and the living. What's interesting to me about this statement is there is no realm. There is no realm, whether it's the after death or while we're still living, that Jesus is not Lord. He's Lord, both of the dead and the living. Now then, we may not think about that being such a great thing. But you know, in in human walks of life, there are a lot of gods There are a lot of gods in human lives that they place in their lives. And you can think back to all civilizations uh, that's existed on this earth, and especially the Egyptian one. And you know, they had gods of the dead. They had gods that ruled the underworld. They had gods that ruled the Nile River. They had gods that ruled uh, the, the crops. But what's interesting about their gods is none of their gods ruled all of it. Their gods were limited. The God of the underworld ruled the underworld. He was not God of the living. The God of the living was not the God of the underworld. In these civilizations. And what the scripture teaches us through uh, Jesus' death and suffering is that he is the God of the dead and the living. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord above all lords. He rules in every realm. 
He is Lord, and he had to die in order to do that. And so his death, his suffering, meant that he could be Lord of both the dead and the living. Now then, what does that mean for us? In John 12, verse 32 and 33, And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. And so Jesus, foretelling what death, the death on the cross, says, by doing that, I'm going to draw all men to me. They're going to follow me as Lord. As Jesus was tempted in the, in, in the wilderness by Satan, and Satan said, I'll give you the glory of all this, all these kingdoms. You know, the kingdoms of the earth bow down and worship Satan. And Satan even says in the book of Luke that these were given to me. They were given to me. And Jesus, it was a temptation for because he wanted to rule the kingdoms of the world. He wants to rule your heart. That's what he came for. That's his desire. And so a temptation was that he longed to be your Lord. What's interesting about the Lord's death and the Lord's sacrifice is that he was willing to give for you to follow him. And most of the time, those who follow Satan, Satan never gives you anything. But people are willing to follow him. Satan says, you ought to try that. It's fun. You ought to do this. You ought to do that. You ought to go out here and commit sin and fornicate and and lie and cheat and steal. And you know what? We go, you know, that sounds like fun. I think I'll do that. And we just go, you know, I'm going to follow you, Satan. I'm just going to do what you, what you say. And Jesus said, that's how the children of the devil are created. In John 8, for, for, verse 44, he said, you're of the, your father, the devil, because the works of your father you will do. Why is it that we'll just listen to Satan, the father of lies, and we'll just go do that? You know, we get a vacuum cleaner salesman that comes to the front door and we'll just about uh, climb mountains to get away from him. Then Satan comes to your door and offers you this good, uh, be- you know, this good deal that's just better than it ought to be and you just fall all over it. That's, that's, that's what we do as humans. And Jesus said, I'll do better than that. I'll sacrifice so that you'll follow follow me. I will draw men to me by giving myself for them. I will draw all men unto me, signifying what death he should die. You are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Don't be servants of men. He, He paid for you. You know what we call it when, when we buy something and we pay a price for something and someone takes it from us? We call it stealing. Jesus paid for you. And yet we go out and serve the world. We go out and serve mankind. We go out and serve the devil. That's what he means here, being servants of or slaves. And we're willing to do that when Jesus paid the price for us. That's stealing. That's taking something someone else paid for. 
and giving it to someone else without their consent. Jesus paid the price for you. You see, his death had value. It meant something for him to, to die. He paid a price for you. You ever given somebody something to help them out? So I'm just going to give, I'm going to help them out. So I'm going to give them a little, little cash or uh, maybe you just, you, you give them a car or you give them something to help them out. And it's not long that they trash that car or they just squander that money and, and they waste it. And you say, well, you know, I, was, I, I had a little extra. I was going to give it, give it away anyways. And we say that because we're offended that people have squandered our gift. That's why we say that. Well, I was just going to give it to them anyway. You know, even if we have extra, even if we have a spare car, and we give that to someone and they squander that, it's offensive. Because even though it's extra, it still has a value. Now, Jesus is God. And I'm sure he's got spare, uh, spare compassion and spare grace. He's got all, all of that that could ever be given out and more. And how can we take that? That price that Jesus paid, he said, I'm giving you this. And we go out and, and we squander it. And we live some way of following Satan or we live in an ungodly way. Remember, you were bought with a price. The price was paid. It had value. When he died, it meant something. Not just that your sins are forgiven. That's true. But it meant something for him. There was value to him in that sacrifice. In Titus chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So he gave himself, that's death, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and notice, notice to purify unto himself. You see, the value of this sacrifice is just not towards you. The value of this sacrifice is for him too. He purified unto himself a peculiar people. Now, I want to explain peculiar to you. Peculiar is a word. Um, we use it in the modern English language in the sense of something odd or weird. And that's, that's not how the King James uses it. We're not peculiar in that way. Peculiar means you're set apart or you're, a, you're appointed something different. For example, in the old covenant, he chose a people, a great nation. He made the children of Israel a great nation. They were a peculiar people. They were set apart from the rest of the world. They were peculiar. So Jesus, when he died, part of the value was that he was going to take a set of people or a group of people and purify them for himself. They would be his. That's the church. That's the church. He has, he has purified unto himself a peculiar people that will do his will. That's zealous of good works, his works. 
And so he takes us and he purifies us. He cleans us up through his death, burial, and resurrection. And we become his people. I'm going to tell you what. The old nation of Israel they're fighting over there with right now, that's not God's people. The church is God's nation. That's who he has purified and set apart for himself to do his will. You see, his sacrifice had some value to, to him. It meant something to him. It was, it was a blessing that he forgave our sins, but it means something to him. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15, it says, He died for all, that they which, uh, which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And so here it, it talks about his death. Now he says that henceforth they should live un, not live unto themselves. You lived to yourself before you obeyed the gospel. That's why you got in the trouble that you got into. You did what you wanted to do. Right? And we needed deliverance from that. We needed forgiveness because we messed up. And Jesus died and said, okay, now I want you to live for me. I want you to follow me. I want you to live a life that reflects me in, in the world. To live unto him. You see, this death meant something to him. In Hebrews 9, verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He forgives your sins, but he also purges your conscience. You know, when I live in sin, my conscience tells me that I cannot be in the presence of God. It says, you need to be ashamed of what you're doing. And we feel shame. You know what happens? We don't want to be around other Christians because we feel shame. We don't want to be around other people because we, our conscience says, you're ashamed. You can go back to the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve, you know what they did when they sinned? They were ashamed. And they hid from God. When we live in sin, we do that. We hide from God. We don't want to be around Christians. Even to the point that sometimes we'll deny the Lord ourselves if we are continuing to live in sin. Or maybe we'll look at other people trying to live in a godly way and we'll say, well, you just think you're better than everybody else. When the fact is we're living in sin and we're ashamed of that. Jesus said, I'll forgive you, and I'll clean your conscience. I'll clean your conscience so that you can do the works of God, serve the living God. He takes that shame away and says, I forgive you. Now then, work for me. Get busy in the kingdom of God. In 1 Peter 2, verse 24, he bare our sins in his, own, in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. That's what he desires of us. Now you're dead to sin. I take, I've taken care of that. Now live unto righteousness. Live in a godly way. And as we see the, the 
the vastness of this sacrifice, the value of his suffering and death. Hopefully it causes us to say, yes, I need to live a godly life. I need to live better. When we think of Jesus' sacrifice in a selfish way only, that means, well, Jesus, you know, and sometimes people tend to do that. Jesus did that for me because, like, I'm somebody special, right? And I'm somebody good enough for him to die for, right? No. We think about it in that way. That's selfish on our part. Yes, he died for our sins. But the sacrifice was so much more than that. He, he cleansed you from your sins so that you could live unto him or for him and live for righteousness. That henceforth you would, we would not serve sin. He set you free from that. He said, you're not in bondage of sin anymore. Live in the right way. Suffering had the value of companionship. You know, I really hadn't thought about it in this way uh, until recently. That God wanted a companion. He wanted communion with mankind. That's why he created the world. That's why he put Adam and Eve in the garden. Man messed it up. And so we were separated from God. We had a relationship with Him. We had companionship with Him. We had communion with Him. And then we were separated from God. And so the value of His death is companionship with mankind again. And I say companionship because, you know, we talk about marriage. And we say that God gave man a wife. That they would be companions. It's not good for man to live alone. And we hear that in weddings. So he brings man a companion that's suitable to him. And then later in the book of Ephesians, we hear and talk about the relationship of a husband and wife with regards to the relationship of Christ and the church. And so if a husband and wife are companions and that relationship carries through, then our relationship with Christ is the church's companionship. That Christ wants the church to be his companions. He wants fellowship with us. He wants participation with us. He wants communion with us. And that's why he cleanses us. In Ephesians 5 verse 25, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself. We read that pretty fast sometimes. We talk about the cleansing and the washing of the water by the word, but what was the purpose? That he might present it to himself. That's companionship. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You see, Christ wants the best. And he's taken us out of the world and he has washed us. And he has cleansed us. And he has purified us. And he has presented us, the church, to himself. 
He wants relationship with you. He wants companionship with you. He wants communion with you. But you have to live in a life of righteousness. You have to walk after Jesus Christ in order to have that relationship with him because he purified it, he cleansed it, and he washed it. He, pre- he presented it to himself, this pure and clean thing. That doesn't mean you're never going to make mistakes. But our mindset is we need to be faithful to that relationship. You know, when we enter into a marriage covenant, there are times when we may, we may agitate the other person. <laughs> we may get frustrated with our spouse. But we're faithful to that relationship. We make it work. Because that's what God wants. God wants this relationship. He wants a relationship with his people and his church. Now then, he purified the church with a washing of water by the word. What that tells us is that in the word of God... And the words that Jesus spoke, we find that we can be washed with water. That we can be buried with him in baptism. That's where he teaches us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, the like figure for even baptism doth also now save us. And when you compare that to the example in the previous, in the previous verses of 1 Peter chapter 3, where it talks about Noah being saved, or the eight people saved by water. And then he tells us, baptism doth also now save us. What that tells us is that there is a point of separation. That's how, Noah, that's how Noah was saved by water. You see, when the water came in upon the world, it separated the obedient from the disobedient. He says the people that were preached to were disobedient. The ones that Noah took on the ark, they were obedient. They did what God said. And the water separated the obedient from the disobedient. And then in verse 21, he says, The like figure we're into baptism does also now save us. Water separates the obedient from the disobedient. The answer of a good conscience toward God, our response toward God is that we'll obey that. That we'll be obedient to that. And if you're subject to that call this morning, we want to invite you to participate in that washing of water by the word of God this morning. If you're in need of prayer this morning and we can help you and pray with you, we invite you also as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.